I also just start humming the theme song to myself now, and uh, my wife is uh, kind of getting annoyed of me because I'm singing it out loud all the time. All right, well, I'll have to change that theme song to uh, help no, with your... No, dude, it's great! Oh, I don't know, man. I'm getting that itch. I'm getting that itch. Just you wait. Maybe you're going to find a new theme song at the beginning of this episode. Ooh. The 15 episode... Oh, are you doing a Country Bears version of the theme song? <laughs> theme song. Theme song. Theme song. This is a theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on that theme song. You gotta watch a movie, gotta follow on Stop wasting time on that theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. Since I started singing, they already had it more. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell them the name of the show. That right there's called Podcast for Tennis Shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the Podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,767 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I am here with my co-hosts Bob and Rob and Rob. You were just telling me how much you want to do an impression of my hello. So please give me your best hello as we start the podcast. Uh, it's just every time I want to say hello to somebody, even at work, I want to go hello and welcome to your office. Sorry. Why? What? A, I mean, hi, I'm here. Hello and welcome to our conversation that we are having right now. My name is Rob and I'm here with you. It's, uh, it's, it's starting to become a problem. Bobby, how are you doing? You know, I get anxiety every time you announce the number at the beginning of the podcast of like how I far know. behind are we falling because I don't I don't look it up. I want to hear it from your soothing voice because mm -hmm. it is the only thing that will get me through this. Well, it was only one more this week and so we're treading water actually. The one more yeah. was Hocus Pocus 2. So, next October we're going to have to get to that one. But until then, we have 1,766 other movies to catch up on. I actually watched Hocus Pocus 2. How was 2 Hocus 2 Pocus? I, I mean, I wasn't six when I watched it. Uh, so not quite the same experience. But uh, you know what, Sean? Your complaints... Uh, Max Dennison is for sure not in this film, so you might actually enjoy it much Maybe more. I will. I cannot wait until next October. Until next October when you watch it. You're not going to even watch it for this Halloween? I guess, it, what, you, you, it took you 28 years to watch the first one? So well, I, mean, I think it's one 29 year. years. Is it 28 or 29 since the first one came 93. out? 93. 29 years. So, yeah, 29 years. So in 29 yeah. years from now, I will watch, You're gonna watch Hocus Pocus Two Hocus, Two Pocus. The Island of Lost Dreams. How you doing, Sean? Thank you for asking, Bobby. I was just going to stay here motionless until someone asked. Well, the truth is, just like usual, I'm feeling kind of sick. You know why I'm feeling sick, Bob? Does it have anything to do with the lack of reviews and likes and subscriptions? It has everything to do with the lack of reviews <sighs> and likes. I need those likes, people. I need those five-star reviews. I need you to log on to your podcast platform of choice click that five stars and i need you to write a review you don't know what to write well here's an example of a review on the podcast war tennis shoes subject line awesome exclamation mark very entertaining and i learned more than i was expecting to i will definitely keep listening five stars and that is from dicoto.ms so thank you dicoto.ms whoever you are you 
are the only thing keeping me from completely <laughs> falling apart at this point. Do you oh, want to no. hear another review? I'd love to. Where I, I saw the one you just read on iTunes. Where's this one from? It's for another podcast because we don't have a oh, second shit. review. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a review for the podcast Stamp Show here today, which is a postage stamp <laughs> news collecting no. and information <laughs> podcast. This is from Boris19733. Please turn off or turn down the cats and all other sounds and music when you're talking. It's very distracting. <laughs> Four stars. <laughs> Sean, you do such a good job with the edit that we have had no cats and no music, and we only got one more star. Please, if anyone knows Boris19733, please tell him <laughs> there are no cats and no distracting music in our podcast. Do you want to hear uh, another one? Y yes, please. This is from the North Point Community Church official podcast. Van City Man says, The content is absolutely amazing, and I never miss a podcast. The inconsistency of the posts is frustrating. They <laughs> seem to post whenever is convenient with no thought to the listeners who love their content. Sometimes they post on Tuesday. Sometimes Friday. Sometimes over a week later. Would rate it a five if they could figure out their posting schedule. Four stars. So if anybody knows Van City Man, please tell him that we always post on Mondays. Except that time when Rob got married. That was my fault. I was going to say, you get this thing out on time every week, except for that one time I got married again. All right, I got one more for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is from the podcast Deep in Bear Country. A Bernstein Bearcast. <laughs> this review is from Johnny Barnstorm. Not the kind of bears I was expecting. <laughs> but I listened anyway, and it was pretty damn great. Check it out. Five stars. So if anybody knows Johnny, please let him know that maybe the bears he was expecting was a discussion of the country bears. Yep. Because that is what we are talking about Today, we are talking about 2002's The <laughs> Country Bears. And I gotta stop you. Yeah, that is honestly, a beautiful segue. Be beautiful segue. I was Round thinking the same thing. I couldn't think of a better way to do it. Good job. The Country Bears has 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. When it came out, it grossed a box office of 18 million on a budget of 35 million. Got bad reviews, got bad box office. It was considered a disaster. And in my opinion, all of those people are wrong. <laughs> Every single one of them. Yeah. You know how I would start describing this movie? That this movie had no business being as enjoyable as it was. That's right. That's it. Yeah, I agree with Bobby on that one. There's also something that I have said since I watched this movie, I think in 2003, because I rented this film. Yeah, you went down to Blockbuster and you were like, the country bears in their own feature film. Uh, what is it? Big Al says, over yonder, a monkey. And I say that sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I had no idea that that was, that was from this movie. I just completely blanked on where it was from, but it stuck with me so much that I still say that. I don't know what that means about me, but I will let you guys infer it. All this time, I thought you were making a Guybrush Threepwood Monkey Island reference, but apparently you were it's pulling that from bears. the Country Bears. So there we go. <laughs> Rob, can you please do the rest of your the podcast in your Big Al impression? Because that was lovely. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going to say, Bobby, we need you to do uh, the podcast War Tennis Shoes as a country bear. It's basically just an Eeyore impression. It's just Diedrich Bader. Yeah, <laughs> Diedrich Bader being Diedrich Bader. Um, the brother from Everyone Loves Raymond. What's his name? Brad Garrett. Yeah, Brad Garrett. Brad Garrett. That's right. Well, before we get to talking about the cast, I want to talk a little bit about the director. Because the director, I think, gave me a little bit of an understanding of why I like this film. Because... I was flabbergasted as I was watching it. I was live texting Rob and Bob and going, what is happening? Guys, are we watching the same movie? Is this the same Country Bears that I have heard about all these years? Because this is a good movie. I am liking this movie. (laughs) Why does everyone hate this movie? And I looked up the director. His name is Peter Hastings. He has never directed another film. I looked at this too. It was it was one and done. A couple of shorts, but that's it. But what he has done is he has written and produced a lot of animation. He's a very successful writer and producer mm. of animation. Prior to this film, he was a writer on Animaniacs. He was a primary writer for Pinky and the Brain, where he became a writer and producer of the Pinky and the Brain television series. Mm-hmm. One of the other segments that he wrote for Animaniacs was Chicken Boo. And this movie... Is Chicken Boo the movie? Is Chicken what? Boo the movie? Yeah, that is brilliant. Gandalf, Gif, I have no memories of this place. What are you, what are you talking about? Chicken Boo is a running gag on Animaniacs that is exactly one note. <laughs> and that note is as follows. Chicken Boo is a chicken who finds himself in human career situation where he is either a gunslinger or a madman style advertising executive and in every single situation he excels at the job and (laughs) everyone is incredibly impressed at his skills and there's always only a single person who can tell that they're a chicken (laughs) and it's the brother and that person is saying why is there a chicken Working in this advertising (laughs) office. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? What? A chicken? That's just Craig. He got the Johnson account. And it's just a chicken. And Chicken Boo just goes, and then everyone just (laughs) showers him with praise. And I have always wanted a live action Chicken Boo adaptation. And I have a live action Chicken Boo adaptation. You wear a disguise to look like human guys, but you're not a man. You're a Chicken Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is totally Uh, Chicken Boo the movie. I didn't even put that together. That is fantastic. Because I loved Chicken Boo. That joke never got funny when I was a kid, and it didn't get funny in a 90-minute movie. All right? (laughs) It didn't get funny? Didn't get old. It it didn't get, it never got old when I was a kid, and it never got old in a 90-minute movie. I fucking loved it. <laughs> nice save. You're going to save that in editing, and no one will know the difference. Yay. That actually makes total sense, though, because as you say, thinking back on the way the humor is played in this movie and all the weird cameos and throwbacks and nods to things, I'm like, yeah, this is just a feature-length Animaniacs movie as well. Yeah, that's exactly the tone. And I think a lot of it is that critics and audiences didn't understand what they were getting into. Like, they just didn't have their their head in the right headspace. <laughs> How do you... Shot. Shot. Okay. We're going to say it's based on an attraction at Disneyland. Oh, where we're going to get into that. a bunch of animatronic bears playing country music, and you go into Country Bear Hall and watch them play some music. This one, Peter Hastings, 
Like, I'm assuming he pitched this? Like, No, no, no. Actually, it's, it's, so here's the background to that. So Peter Hastings was a writer and producer on Animaniacs. Then he was one of the head writers on Pinky and the Brain. He then parlayed that into like a chief creative position with Disney. Um, He came in to the Disney Afternoon One Saturday Morning series. And they also offered him a consulting position as an Imagineer. He basically was like, he was a creative poach from them. Like, they went headhunting and they're like, we're getting the Animaniacs guy. And then when he came in, he was like, you know, this is great. I'm going to work on one Saturday morning. I'm going to work on Imagineering stuff. You know what I would really love to do, though? I really want to direct a feature. And they said, well, all right, here's something nobody else will direct. And they handed him a script for the Country Bears movie. This was their idea? (laughs) It was a script that was submitted by Mark Perez. He's a writer. He has some other credits. He actually is credited with writing Game Night, which is a pretty funny movie if you haven't seen it. It's a more recent one. This was his script. But Peter Hastings, apparently in an interview, said that he did substantial rewrites that were uncredited. So I think he put a lot of the kind of Animaniacs vibe into it. But he got the gig because nobody else wanted to direct this because they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Why would I want to make this? And he was like, if you're going to let me direct a movie, I will direct whatever the hell you want me to make. So he made The Country Bears. Oh, man. I was going to say, like, how do you pitch this? Like, what's the idea? How else would you make The Country Bears? Like, I want to get your guys' pitch on this. Because, like, I think it was best case scenario is what we got. <laughs> oh, 100%. This, as, as we said, this movie had no business being as good as it was. Like, it was getting genuine laughs out of me. Um, We'll get to the twist at the end that I legitimately did not see coming and made me feel giddy inside because of it. But to me, this was... <laughs> had pirates... Of the Caribbean come out yet, or it must have been in pre no. or post production at that point. It was in post. So this movie came out in 2002. Pirates came out in 2003. There was, I think, a creative mandate to try to convert Disney yeah. theme park rides into feature film IP. They had Eddie Murphy's The Haunted Mansion in pre production at the time as well. The first one that came out was The Country Bears, which sort of put a damper on the whole project until Pirates came out and then became the biggest thing in the world. There was a couple of of Disney Channel movies. I think Tower of Terror was one that had come out before um, that they had made for... for the Disney Channel starring uh, the Goot, Steve Gutenberg's in it. Famous from the Stonecutters song. Yeah, but that's, that's the only thing I know him from. It was the third one. And the funniest thing is the fact that it was the Country Bears and then the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> one hit so hard with audiences worldwide. And one was the Country Bears. <laughs> that's because, despite my positive feelings towards this film... It's an insane production, and everything about it suggests it's a terrible idea. So just to give a little bit of background on what the country bears are, in 1966, Walt Disney invested in some land in Northern California where he was going to build... (laughs) You're starting there? (laughs) Of course I'm starting there. Okay. Where he was going to build a Californian (laughs) ski resort. And the feature that he was going to install at the ski resort that would draw everyone's attention and have them trekking across the country to see this amazing ski resort is it would have A, a ski hill, B, animatronic bears. (laughs) He was convinced that animatronic bears that played music would be a massive hit. He was like, guys, I can see it. I can see it. They can play different genres. And people will come from all over the world to see these animatronic bears. 
it encountered a lot of regulatory breakdowns. It was delayed substantially. Because of the bears or because of the ski hill? Because of the ski hill. Okay. <laughs> Walt Disney passed away. The Walt Disney Company ended up abandoning the Ski Hill project, but they had done enough development on this animatronic bear show that they said, well, let's just move that over to the Walt Disney World Resort that was going to be opening in 1971, approximately. So it became a feature opening day attraction at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World in Florida. And it was a massive hit. What? Hold on a second, sorry, I just, I need to plug in my computer. Like, anticipation is building in me, the fact that you paused right there and said it was a massive hit. <laughs> it was a massive hit. There are reviews from 1971 that single out the Country Bear Jamboree as the highlight oh of the God. entire park. Walt Disney went to his grave, and his final two predictions were <laughs> Kurt Russell's gonna be big, and get me some dancing animatronic bears, and both of them were right, okay? Okay. And Disney immediately opened up an equivalent attraction at Disneyland. And this attraction was bigger. It had two theaters that would run two different country bear shows simultaneously to account for the massive audiences that they were expecting to receive. It got its own land i want to describe what? that again it what? got its own land it was like country bears land it opened in bear country which was the name of the land that oh had one ride that ride is country bear jamboree so this is the equivalent of disney buying star wars and opening star wars land Except it's Country Bear <laughs> Land. And they were like, guys, we're making a whole land about these country bears. Here's the thing. It was also huge. It oh was huge God. in Disneyland. It was a very, very popular attraction. So popular that another company stole the idea outright and franchised it. That company is Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese is based on... The Country Bear Jamboree attraction oh, wow. in Disneyland. However, Chuck E. Cheese kind of made it a little passe. The fact that every wait, single wait, wait, city. Wait, 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 wait. You mean Charles Entertainment Cheese? The E is for expropriation of intellectual <laughs> property. That goes for the same for the E that's in Disney. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese, I think, kind of diminished the uh, novelty of having singing bears for an audience, animatronic bears. And over the next 20 years, the Country Bear Jamboree became less and less of an e-ticket attraction. Audiences dwindled. And in 2001, the Disneyland attraction closed its doors for lack of wait. interest. Wait, wait, so wait. in 2002, the movie came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. See, see, for me, and we're going to get into this very quickly once we discuss the plot. That means the backstory of them basically being the biggest thing in the entire world and touring and having a massive fan base that reached the likes of Elton John, <laughs> Queen Latifah, Exhibit, Willie Nelson is basically canon. In the real world. It's what happened in the real world. It's a biopic. The only difference between the story in the movie and the story in real world is that Christopher Walken in the movie is actually Disney, which <laughs> tore down the Country Bears jamboree. I gotta say, I actually went to Disneyland when I was in grade two. I don't know if that was like 92 or or something. I don't remember when it was. But I remember going to go see the Country Bears in Disneyland, and we were one of two families yep. in that theater 
when they did their production. I also went to Disneyland in the 90s. I also saw the Country Bear Jamboree. I was the other family. <laughs> Is that where you bought me the Billy Hill and the Hillbilly CD at the Country Bear Jamboree? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's actually not the Country Bear Jamboree, though, but that was the same time. The Billy Hill and the Hillbillies were the human band that played down the street at the Golden Horseshoe, which was... Uh, the other Western theme. See, they also were just eating their own. They they were. Uh, <laughs> they probably that was that was also Country Bears, and they had to like scrap it because they didn't have enough audience. <laughs> they for didn't two have theaters. enough audience, so they actually brought in humans to actually entertain people. Yeah. In the real world, the Country Bears were demolished by Eisner himself. So Christopher Walken is playing Eisner. Wait, wait what was the line? Oh no! Country Bear Hall has been crushed. <laughs> oh no! Oh, no! <laughs> Oh, no! <laughs> Let's get that out of the fucking way. This movie has fucking Christopher Walken in it. Yeah! Playing Michael Eisner. It's hilarious. <laughs> Bobby, tell me how this movie starts. So this opens with, like, a VH1 behind-the-music-style documentary discussing the Bears and their escapades, um, the reach that they had, and what their music meant to America. Um, which, as we just discovered from you, is all true. <laughs> the band broke up due to internal differences, as most VH1 documentaries do, and they're all off doing their own things and have their own businesses yeah. and have their own lives. And but they're, like, in, they're cutting in shots of um, newspaper clippings yeah. of, of all of the headlines, like Bill and Ted. Um, <laughs> and one of them was like, uh, Bill and Ted, or not Bill and Ted, re Country Bear Reunion, or how long are you to break up? And it was like, forever, not long enough, says Ted, what is his name? <laughs> Betterhead. I like that they couldn't be bothered to try and make a guy in a bear suit play the drum, so they just had a human drummer. <laughs> I honestly thought that was hilarious. And I assume it's probably a reference to Spinal Tap because it's a different drummer every time. We go through this VH1 thing and we see a live concert, the last concert the Bears ever played. And it's fucking huge. It's like a stadium concert. It's like the Rolling Stones. There's pyrotechnics. They're on like fucking like cables where they're being lifted into the air and they're like soaring over the audience like they're Kanye or some shit. And they're doing like guitar solos and stage diving and all of this shit. If I was in that audience and a bunch of fucking grizzly bears were like just crushing these guitar solos, I would be like, fuck yes, this is mind blowing. This is the best concert I've ever seen in my life. Did you see that bear play the guitar? He was doing gymnastics. That other one's singing a fucking song. They're harmonizing. <laughs> so, like, I understand that they would be pretty big. <laughs> I would want to be at that concert. I just watched this, right? And I turned it on. And that's the first scene, right? And uh, my wife, she uh, she came into the room and was just like, wait, is this the beginning? Like, wh did it just start? What's, ha what's happening? <laughs> she had all of these questions. She was just so flabbergasted by this scene. And I was like, you know, that's all really fair. Like, all of those questions... <laughs> What is happening? It's such a way to introduce them, right? It's not like they just, like, start with some sort of, like, talking scene. It's like, let's get into it. Let's show them at their most ridiculous of what they're doing so you get completely acclimatized to them. It's right, right off, off the bat. The and the world that we're living in is a world in which a stadium is filled with human people. Human people. And the only bears, the only anthropomorphic bears, are the four bears rocking out on stage. I actually don't think that's true because... Oh, yeah? Um, because I questioned this the entire time I watched this movie, that are these the only anthropomorphic bears that no, exist in the world? Because they're Barry not. Bear's not related to them, but I know, I mean, I guess they're the only bear band. Mm -hmm. I got confused at the car wash scene where I was like, 
Did a bear just get out? Oh, no, a bear just works at this car wash. Yep. There's two things. This world is one in which there are anthropomorphic bears that are normal to everyone, and nobody really acknowledges the fact that they're bears, other than they call themselves bears, and their band is called the Country Bears. But the thing is, there's not that many of them. And the reason why there's not that many of them is because they only built the four main (laughs) characters and then, like, two others. So... There will be sometimes seen where there's another bear. There'll be like one other bear in the background, but that's because yeah. the Jim Henson company was like, these cost $150,000 each. How many do you want? And they're like, five? <laughs> <laughs> and it could be just because of the bear population, you know, in respect to human population is so little. So that's why they don't procreate the same I feel like a lot humans. of this movie would make more sense if there were more bears, but yeah, yeah. we'll get to that as we go on. And there's no there's no other sort of anthropomorphic animal at all. It's just humans, bears. And Christopher Walken, which is doing his own thing, and I don't know if he really qualifies <laughs> as either. Okay, so I love the I love the bit at the beginning where the, uh, during the concerts uh, they did like a close up title card shot of uh, all of all the animals. Sorry, of all the, the the members of the Country Bears. And the one it said Zen Zubler that just made me laugh so hard. The name Zen Zubler I burst out laughing like it's just the start of the show, and I was like, okay. Okay, because you, I just just watched this, and you guys watched it a while ago. You texted me about it. I'd seen this before, and I didn't remember liking it. And you guys said, "Why do I like this?" And then that came on, and I was like, "Oh no, am I gonna like this too?" Oh no, <laughs> and I did. Spoiler alert! <laughs> it got me. Those title cards look awesome. Like they like freeze frame on them, and like yeah. at their at their most extreme, where they're just like going vertical, playing a guitar solo, and you're like, "That could, that bear is a fucking rock star." <laughs> Especially the one you're like, wow, there's one string in that thing and he's fucking shredding it. (laughs) (laughs) And it also says that his instrument is the one string thing. Yeah. After this VH1 behind the music origin of the breakup of the Country Bears, what happens next, Rob? Uh, It cuts to uh, the hero of the show, Haley Joel Osmond, playing uh, Barry... Barrington. Ryerson? Sorry. Barry Uh, Barrington. Come on. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I I I wrote down Ned Ryerson, and so I I uh, forgot uh, what his last name was. Sorry. Yeah, Bear- his father is Needle Nose Ned. Yeah, Ned the Head. <laughs> yeah, Ned Ryerson. Barry Barrington in his room, uh, basically uh, shots of all of his homework. He's loving, you know, the the Country Bears. He's he's watching this concert on. Uh, TV, and we're kind of introduced to him that way, be like, this guy is obsessed. There's even a note from his, like, all his school projects are referred to the Country Bears, and there's, like, a uh, popsicle stick house, but it's of Country Bear Hall, and it's like, A+. plus. And then the teacher's notice, but does everything have to be about the Country Bears? That got a genuine laugh out of me. Yeah, this guy's obsessed with them. Which, for obvious reasons, because he's a fucking bear. But he doesn't know it. Well, because we're living in a chicken boo world where only one person is allowed to acknowledge that he is a bear, and it's his brother, and we will get to that. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Haley Joel Osment. Sixth Sense, AI, amazing performances around the same time as this movie. He went into doing a lot of voiceover work. He was in the Kingdom Hearts video games. He continues to do a whole bunch of animated television series and movies to this day. More recently, he's gotten into doing some interesting comedy stuff. He's doing those weird Kevin Smith movies. He was in an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. 
I really like Haley Joe Osmond. He seems like a really interesting dude, and I have no idea what he's doing in this movie. He seems to be entirely confused by everything that is going on around him, probably because he's a bear. <laughs> and he's struggling to keep up with a human level of intelligence. But go ahead. I honestly equated him to uh, Fred Savage's younger brother in The Wizard. <laughs> the autistic kid? Yeah, like he's got one thing, and that's his one thing is the country bears, and nothing else matters, you know? Okay, I could see that. I could see Barry Barrington being a little bit autistic. All right, he's on the spectrum. Okay, now I'm understanding the performance a bit more. Yeah. He goes downstairs, and we're introduced to his family. I want to take a moment now to honor the greatness of Stephen Tobolowsky. Yeah, amazing. Ned the Head, Needle Nose Ned... I love Stephen Tobolowsky. He plays Barry Barrington's father in this movie. He showed up in 2003 Freaky Friday as Lindsay Lohan's teacher in that film, the villainous teacher who's treating her poorly because he has a crush on her mother. And Stephen Tobolowsky does great comedic work. He also shows up in like really great dramatic turns every once in a while. Mm -hmm. He's fucking uh, Sammy Jenkins from Memento. Uh, the dude is in Buried, the Ryan Reynolds Buried Alive in Iraq movie as really? the lawyer of the company that, like, leaves him to die. Every time Stephen Tobolowsky shows up, I'm like, yes, Stephen Tobolowsky. I really like Stephen Tobolowsky. I agree with you entirely. I don't think I've seen a performance where I wasn't just, like, enjoying everything he does. Just every time he's on screen, I'm like, yep, buy it. I get it. Yeah, I'm in. 100%. Sold. The rest of his family is uh, Megan Faye plays his mother, uh, Norma Barrington. Uh, Not the Eli mother from The Great Outdoors, I'd like to point point out. <laughs> Which would have been a nice tie-in because she'd be the mother of a bear. <laughs> Thank you again, Robbie. How how can we continue on without you pointing out whether or not each motherly actress <laughs> is from The Great Outdoors? Eli Marenthal plays his brother, Dex Barrington. And Dex Barrington is the only person in this movie he seems to understand that Barry Barrington is a bear. Because when he sits down for breakfast, he says, Mom, Dad, am I adopted? <laughs> and his parents go, no, of course not. Why would you think that? And he says, well, me and Dex don't look anything alike. Our eyes are different colors. And he has freckles. And he has freckles. And I don't have freckles, I think. And his brother just keeps looking at him going like, no, dude, you're... You're a bear, of course. <laughs> and he just cannot seem to register it. And his parents, for some reason, are trying to convince him that he is a biological son of Look, these two humans. How long have they been claiming this? They've been getting away with it for years. Like 11 years, Why stop it? now? Why he stop has now? been going to school. He has teachers that are grading his schoolwork. Uh-huh. No one other than his brother is pointing out that he's a bear. It's chicken boo. Yeah. Okay? Everyone just treats it like it's normal. And his brother keeps getting more and more upset about this. And this is one of the funniest elements of this movie because the father then goes, listen, even if you were adopted, we would love you just as much as our biological son. Maybe even more. <laughs> he's sitting right there I, I also love in that scene just before he says that he beats his biological son in front of the adopted bear because he smacks him in the head yeah and i want you to imagine for a moment your biological parents <laughs> hate you so much 
that they go into the woods and bring back a feral bear. <laughs> and then tell you, this is your new brother. We love him more than you. <laughs> like, of course Dex is going to hate him. Holy shit. And Dex hates him. Oh, he but, hates like, him. But, like, I would hate him. Yeah. I would hate him if that's what happened. If my parents brought home a feral bear <laughs> and said, this is our favorite son. <laughs> Eventually, his brother convinces him that he actually is a bear because he shows yeah. him pictures of himself when they found him in the forest because he was caught by a park ranger because he's a bear. Yeah, and he shows him the shock collar or tracking collar. It's a tracking collar, yeah. So he had a tracking collar that the park ranger put on him when they originally found him. I love this too because I like that like this brother just kept all of these things in a box and was like, the day I ruin his life, I will have everything ready in our closet. <laughs> yeah. Because for some reason, he has the tracking collar and the tracking device. Not the parents. Yeah, he yeah. has. Well, them. he was he was refraining because he didn't want to totally mentally destroy his brother. But it was when his father said, "We would <laughs> still love you just as much, maybe even more." That something in Dex's brain snapped, and he was like, "I'm going to fucking destroy this bear." And Barry Barrington is so traumatized by this that he leaves home. He packs up, takes his guitar, and he goes out on the road. <laughs> Another genuine laugh there was his goodbye note. <laughs> it's, it's clawed up because he's a bear and he can't hold a pen. <laughs> this is something that I want to talk about, though. So his goodbye note <laughs> says, I've gone to find my destiny. Goodbye, mom and dad. But the spelling is wrong. He's clearly like it's a bear holding a pen. So it's chicken scratch. It's almost unreadable and the sheet of paper is just torn to shreds because it's a being manipulated by a bear with bear claws <laughs> but here's the thing this bear was getting a plus on all yep. of his schoolwork and assignments which his leads me to believe that. that his father was doing his homework for him hell yeah so dex not only had to deal with his brother getting more affection his father clearly did all of his homework for him because he loved him more <laughs> steven tobolowski brought a bear out of the woods taught it to speak did all of its schoolwork for it Spent no time with his biological son. Dex has been basically raising himself because his father is spending all of his time doing oh his God. son's schoolwork for this him. This was the moment that, because you texted like several times by this point, like, what's wrong with me? Why am I liking this movie? And we're like, this is, this is good and enjoyable. And this was the moment when I went, oh shit, I'm liking this movie. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it was yeah. so early on. It was the clawed up note. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'm no, going to like too. this movie. So Barry Barrington travels to Country Bear Hall, which was the birthplace of the country bears. It's their cavern club in Liverpool. It's where they first became famous. And he's going to go there to find himself because he's that obsessed with the country bears. And he gets there. I was going to say, uh, Christopher Walken shows up before this. We get the introduction. All right. Um, okay. So Christopher, Christopher Walken, Walken also shows up at the Country Bear Hall. Tell me about that, Rob. So Christopher Walken is a banker who uh, has taken over from the, the bank, which the country bears have a loan out from. Um, and uh, I, I actually, I don't remember, like, all of the bears look the exact same. I just remember Big Al. It's Big Al is the one that he's talking to. And then there's Henry, who's the owner of the country bear hall. So he's talking to Henry about the loan, right? So Christopher Walken goes up to 
Henry because he's going to demolish Country Bear Hall. He wants to knock it down. There's no other plan for it. You know, there's no like evil, like I'm going to rebuild, put my, my ghost uh, pirate casino on the property. It's just, I want to destroy this building with everything and every fiber in my being. Well, as we're introduced to Christopher Walken, we're introduced to the fact that he apparently loves demolishing things. He has a hood ornament that is a wrecking ball. And, and yeah. it, it, is, it is a functioning wrecking ball, too. It swings back and forth when he drives. They owe $20,000, which is actually half the price of the mortgage on uh, the Ghost Pirate Inn for Blackbeard's Ghost. <laughs> and it's like, it's not that much money. That's because Country Bear Hall is in the middle of fucking nowhere. Right. That property is worth... Nothing. Right. That's why it's they could- It's a barn in the woods. It's a barn in the middle of it's the woods. It's where I recorded the last podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would like to point out, though, that the decor of the country bear hall, the way that it looks on the outside, the fact that you walk through a covered bridge to get there is exactly how it's built and made out in Disneyland. Yeah. It's the it same looks exactly thing, right? the same. So that's what it's based on. The visuals of it are exactly the same. It looks like a Disneyland construction because it has that lacquered fake wood everywhere. Right. Like it's clearly not real wood. It's plastic that's made to look like wood. Um, but it's very authentic to the Disney Disneyland experience. They actually didn't demolish the one in Disneyland. They just, just moved packed it. it up and put it over there on the set. No, of course they demolished it. Michael Eisner did it himself. Yeah. He had the model on his desk and he was like, oh no, <laughs> country bear jamboree. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, random side note. It's been brought up on other things before. I'm going to really quickly touch on the everyone's favorite Christmas movie, Batman Returns. I love that movie so much. Nobody touches on the fact that within that movie, the kid playing Christopher Walken's son does the fucking best Christopher Walken impression <laughs> in the world. Chip? Chip. When the penguin comes out and everyone's attacking, he jumps up on his dad and goes, no, dad, go, save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's never seen again. And I didn't clock that until I was much older and was like, that dude is fucking crushing it. <laughs> Barry Barrington then comes up after Christopher Walken has given his ultimatum. He needs $20,000 by like six next days week or, yeah. or else he is going to demolish the country bear hall. You can go to like four different small loan financing companies and probably get $5,000 to pay off Christopher Walken pretty easily. They have no assets. Their building is in the middle of nowhere. It's worth I, nothing. I still think you could probably go to, like, a bunch of, like, payday loan places and get that money to pay them off. Of course, you're going to have to pay off these other people. But, like, there are – it's $20,000 in 2002 or whatever it is. It's not that much money. Again, they are bears. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> – that's the difference. The, the, see, this exact scenario you're discussing is how people got into such horrible debt in the early 2000s around the time of the recession because people owed $20,000, $5,000, dollars to someone. So they got a loan from payday loans and then they had to pay – they used that to pay off their first loan. But then they owed payday loans money. Then they had to go to like ca cash a check to get a $10,000 loan for them to pay the next loan. So that is why they didn't do it this way. I'm not saying it's way. a good idea. It was never a good I'm idea. I'm just saying it's not that much money. This movie was – quite frankly predicting the 2008 financial crisis <laughs> you need to make sense of the big short just watch the country bears after and you're like oh i get it now yeah, adam mckay would have done a lot better just bringing the country bears in to explain the financial crisis in a bathtub well we owe twenty thousand dollars on our bar <laughs> just drinking champagne in a bubble bath but big like, al. yeah big al in a bubble <laughs> Okay, so Barry Barrington shows up. Yeah. 
he comments on the sign that Christopher Walken has now decided to install, which says, forgive us our dust, we're going to be demolishing Country Bear Hall. He looks at a sign and says, what's that? Although I also just suspect because his father's doing all his homework for him, maybe he doesn't know how to read. And he's literally saying, what's that? Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really understand it, but it introduces us to our running gag where Big Al goes, it's a sign. I love Big Al. I, I, I gotta say right now, I love Big Al. He's probably my favorite character in the whole show. Henry and Big Al explain, explain to Barry Barrington that Country Bear Hall is going to be demolished. And Barry Barrington has a big idea. And his big idea is we'll put the band back together. They'll come play a show and they will raise enough money to save the orphanage. <laughs> I saw it in a movie called The Blues Brothers. Yep. Yep. Because that's what this is. It's the Blues yes. Brothers, but where the Blues Brothers are bears. And I love it. <laughs> like, that's just the pitch. We're going to make the Blues Brothers, but we're going to replace the Blues Brothers with bears. You know how when we were talking about the Hocus Pocus and they had the CGI cat that gave me a panic attack? Yeah. I had none of that with these animatronics. It's because they're Jim Henson creations. They're fantastic. Although Barry Barrington's eyes are a little too doughy, but I think that's intentional. Like, it, it's a little, he's like, he's staring off into the middle distance at all points. Everyone else is like, is like staring and looking. But for whatever reason, he is, he's, he's not looking at the people that are there. No, he's, he's, he's a curious incident of the bear in the nighttime kind of a situation. <laughs> this, uh, the animatronic Jim Henson bears, basically this is the same technology they used for bear in the big blue house. I think they have a down Teenage pat. Ninja Turtles, like, you know, from 91. Well, this is 10 like years 10 after years, that. 10 yeah. years before. Yeah. Um, it looks great. Yeah. The, the awesome. faces are extremely emotive. Although Trixie. I uh, just because you're for whatever reason I it was so different to all the like gruff old scraggly bears that when Trixie came on I was like what's up with this it just it was such a change right well the more scruffy the better they looked like Zeb Zuber yeah. fucking loved Zeb Zuber <laughs> oh, every single look that he gave it was so good it was so good he convinces Henry to go on a road trip to bring the band back together. And so they bring out the old tour bus and they get inside and who they find but Rhodey, uh, our good friend, MC Gaines. And I say our good friend, but we haven't talked about him on this podcast before. But um, uh, did I get that name right? MC Gainey of Lost fame. I was going to say from Lost, that's what you're going to call back, aren't you? That's what I know MC Gainey from. He's in other stuff. He's in a bunch of stuff. Isn't he in uh, Con Air? I'm pretty yep. sure. Yep, yeah, he is. He shows up in a lot of things. He's pretty good. I like MC Gainey and I love him in this. He's the roadie who lives on the tour bus. He's apparently lived there for 10 years now. He raised his kids there, he says at one point. And where do they go first, Bob? Oh, I actually... Uh, they, I don't know where it is, but they go to a uh, set. They go to a film set. That's right, because I can't remember where it was. Yeah, because they find out that... Which bear is at the work? It's Fred Betterhead. Fred Betterhead. And they think they think he works in movies. He's the bassist, but he's a security guard on set. He's working security on a set where they're going to be shooting a music video. And the music video they're shooting is for the artist Crystal Harris, who was a contemporary artist at the time. I don't know any of her music, but apparently she did a song that was on the soundtrack to The Princess Diaries. Mm. There is a music video for the song that's on the soundtrack to The Princess Diaries. It looks suspiciously like the music video that she's shooting <laughs> in this movie, which 
kind of gets me to what I want to say about this sequence. So Fred Betterhead is the security guard for Crystal Harris. She's shooting a music video. She finds out that he was part of the Country Bears and she says, why don't you come jam with us? So he gets his harmonica. He sits in with the band. And then you get the sequence that is essentially the worst late 90s music video uh-huh. that you have ever seen. Yep. Yep. With a terrible song that is grating and annoying and any negative adjective I can throw at it, except there's just a big bear (laughs) in every scene. And I couldn't stop laughing because it's so authentically bad. Like, it looks exactly like- Oh, it's perfect. The music videos that I hated watching around 2002. Like, that's when I was in high school, a little bit before that, late 90s as well. When I was like 13 years old, this was on Much Music, which is the Canadian equivalent to MTV, all the time. Every music video looked like this. It was garbage. We're just watching it again, except there's just this big bear shuffled <laughs> around in every single shot. The best part. The best part is she's like, come jam with us, right? So he could play the harmonica. And then and then he plays like three bars of the harmonica. <laughs> and then it's just him walking along behind her in this rotating set. And he's just going... Well, he does like this shuffling dance in the back of every single shot. But it's... Yeah. It's yep. And it's hilarious because they basically do the entire music video where, where there's like special effects and they're like, they go in multiple sets. There's a rotating set. There's a scene where everyone's on a trampoline and they're jumping in slow motion and he's a bear that's just jumping in slow motion. <laughs> and then at the end, she says, oh, thanks for jamming with us. I have to go get ready for the shoot, <laughs> which means none of that was the I shoot. Know. I know! Cameras weren't rolling for that. Why? It's so authentic that I can't say for sure that it's even intentionally funny. Like, I think it is because the people who made this movie are quite funny. But, like, Crystal Harris, the artist, and no offense to her, she was quite successful at the time. She has a very nice voice. But, like, if you go on YouTube and watch the other stuff she was making at the time, it's this. Like, this is authentic to what she was creating. And they just did it, but put a bear in it. And they're yeah. like, that's the joke. And I think it's amazing. <laughs> Fred Betterhead is played by Brad Garrett, which we mentioned at the beginning. He is the voice. And forgive me, I don't know the names of all of the Jim Henson puppeteers who were involved. None of them jumped out at me, but they all do excellent work. And they're all basically from the Jim Henson company. And they mm-hmm. worked on other Jim Henson productions around this time. They pick up Brad and they say, Brad, we're putting the band back together. And he doesn't need a whole lot of convincing. He gets on pretty easily, I think. He gets in the yeah. tour bus after he's done shooting his music video. So, Bob, what happens ap- after that? Um, so they call the next bear they're uh, looking to pick up. And this ended up being a gag that I really enjoyed. And later on, it gets fully addressed that when Henry calls anyone on the phone, he has a giant bear-friendly attachment so he can use any pay phone that is around. Okay, yeah. And I I, I don't know. Because I, I was like, does he have a giant bear phone? And then later in the movie, he takes it off the phone and puts it in his pocket. <laughs> there, there's a cutback where my favorite line ever and anything ever over yonder, a monkey, is said. Uh, Christopher Walken goes back and says, what are you guys doing? You're, doing, you're putting the band back together? You're going to do a reunion tour? So Christopher Walken is made aware of what's going to happen. They're going to try to raise this money. And then it goes to the bar, which is a bear-themed bar run by Queen Latifah. Let's slow down here. Let's slow down. We need to really talk about this bar. We're not just brushing over the I bar. Will. Okay, It's a bear so- bar. 
Okay. So what is happening is the next person they're going to pick up for the band is Zeb Zuber. Zeb Zuber. My favorite bear. Yep. The best. Zeb Zuber is played by the very great Stephen Root. If there's one person I like almost yep. as lo- as much as Stephen Tobolowsky, it is Stephen Root. Okay? Stephen Root is amazing. He makes everything better. He's uh, my stapler. Right. He's from Office Space. Also, he co-stars with Diedrich Bader, who we'll get to in a moment. I think we've glossed over the introduction of Diedrich Bader, but we'll talk about him after this yeah. scene. But oh, yeah. Stephen Root plays Zeb Zuber, and he can be found at a honey bar because there you go. Fred yep. Betterhead says, well, Zeb could never get off the honey. And so he can only be found at the honey bar. He's addicted to the honey. And so they go to a bar called the Swarming Hive. I didn't look at the name. That calls itself a honey bar. That is the name of it. And it only serves honey. Pints of honey. There are these giant novelty mugs of honey as if as if everyone is a hobbit and they've gone to a human bar. <laughs> These huge. mugs are massive and they're they are, filled. They are bear-sized glasses. But here's the thing. There are two bears in this bar. It's all occupied by humans. This bar is <laughs> packed with humans who are chugging honey. Yep. And it's owned by Queen Latifah. And the bar is so successful that Brian Setzer is her in-house band. <laughs> Yeah, the Brian Setzer Orchestra is playing there. And the thing is, is later on in the movie, at the very end of the credits, they say Queen Latifah with a picture of her. (laughs) So in this universe, Queen Latifah owns this bar. It's like when Johnny Depp owned the Viper Club, except Queen Latifah owns this honey bar. (laughs) Where she only serves honey. And they go up to Queen Latifah and they say, hey, do you know Zed Zubler? And she's like, you mean Zed Zubler who's been sleeping on my floor and owes me however much money? That Zed Zubler? <laughs> yeah, he's one of two bears in the bar. So they're just like, oh yeah, that bear over there is our good friend Zabumafu. So they go over to him. They say, Zeb, we're putting the band back together. So you got to kick the honey habit. We are going are to- we going to gloss over the back scratching machine that they have? The Barco like scra- the- the Scratcher instead of the, the Barco Lounger? Scratcher, that's what it's called? Yeah. yeah. You know, you go to a bar and they've got like, you know, those like test your strength, the punch things. But this, it's just a piece of wood that moves up and down very fast so he can lean up yeah. against it and Back. I just want to remind you, this bar is owned and operated by Queen Latifah, yes. and it is 95% populated by humans, <laughs> but they still find it useful to have a tree, or like a vibrating tree in the back, that this somehow gets enough use, despite the fact that they are entirely populated by humans. Yep. They tell Zabumafu that they're getting the <laughs> band back together, and he says, I can't join the band because I owe Queen Latifah too much money. She'll break my legs. Barry Barrington has another brilliant idea, and every one of his brilliant ideas throughout this movie is he says, I've got it. And his brilliant idea is always, let's have someone else solve the problem. <laughs> uh-huh. So his first brilliant idea to save Country Bear Hall is, let's have the Country Bears save Country Bear Hall. And then when he needs to get 
Zabumafu his his <laughs> debt cleared. He says, "I mean, I really like Zabumafu, but Zeb Zubler is is such a good name. I want to keep saying it." <laughs> All right, I'll go back to Zeb Zubler. His big plan is he goes to Queen Latifah and he bets that Zeb Zubler will be able to fiddle duel her house band and win. And as a wager, he puts up the touring bus. None of this is his to do. But he's also Queen Latifah, a child. he's also a child, but Queen Latifah accept this wager from a child, wagering assets this child does not own. Yes. But that's just how Queen Latifah rolls. That's how she rolls. She gets up on stage and she says, this child has decided to wager a bus. <laughs> Zeb Zubler, uh, Zordon, is going to get on stage <laughs> and he is going to fiddle duel my house band. And she introduces her house band, which is the Brian Setzer Orchestra. And now we get to my favorite scene in the movie because I love these scenes. We talked about it during the Hocus Pocus episode. I keep talking about how more movies need to have scenes where the protagonists or the villains or someone needs to get up on stage and make up a song on the spot, whether it be a ninja rap or whether it be a Jurassic World raptor rap. (laughs) Someone needs to do something on the spot to win over an audience and have them go, yes, and they do that in this movie. And what they do is that like 8 Mile – they both get on stage and like spit bars at each other, <laughs> set to dueling banjo music, like rockabilly Brian Setzer style. But they make up the lyrics about the song they're playing as they go, as if it's Tenacious D singing about the greatest song in the world. It's mm. it's pretty fantastic. Tell me what you think about this scene, Rob. I, I dug it. I mean, obviously. What? I was worried about. I was genuinely engaged in this because I was just like, oh no, Zeb's had too much honey. He's not going to remember how to play that fiddle. <laughs> we need to sober up Zordon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he sings the lyrics great and he's got the audience on his side. But then uh, he plays the first time the fiddle and it's completely out of tune. He doesn't know what he's doing. But then Haley Joel Osment stands up and claps because he's loving every moment. Except the of it. thing is, his second verse is about how. His first solo was a decoy solo, and he actually knows how to play the fiddle and better. And then he just fucking crushes it. Which is the best part. Yeah. He's so confident in his fiddle playing abilities that he throws the first solo. He, uh, he bombs intentionally right off the bat. Just because it'll be better when he can figure out a rhyme for that. But it is. During the second verse. It is. He's planned, <laughs> he's planned for this. Why are we so enthusiastic about the country bears? I love this because movie, Because this guys. movie is good. It. Like <laughs> so, they they win, and then Zeb Zubler gets to clear his debts, and he gets on the bus. I wish there was another scene there with Queen Latifah, though. Like, I wish they kind of just cut back to the bus, and they're they're on their way, right? Right. I wish there was just like another scene with Queen Latifah going, like, I didn't think you had it in you, or whatever. She well, would she, say there's a moment they have a shot of her like nodding favorably, where she's like yeah. Zeb Zubler. You did it. Yeah? Motherfucking Zordon. Oh, I might have missed that. I don't know. I just, I wish Yeah, there's was... a shot of her, like, confidently okay. being like, yeah, you fucking go, Zordon. You, you, get, you get the impression she wanted him to succeed. That, that's the wonderful part about this, is this is what she wanted, was him not just to pay the money back. She, she wanted him to succeed and, like, do well. Well, she's been, you know, giving him honey on the bar tab all these yeah, years. Yeah, she's been floating him this entire time because she likes him. Can we just also, like, really briefly touch on the fact that this movie somehow managed to turn the John Frusciante story of quitting a successful band because you're addicted to heroin into something funny and enjoyable to watch? <laughs> 
in that metaphor for what's going on in this world, Queen Latifah is running a heroin bar. <laughs> I think we need to uh, go back to the cops. We needed to go back to introduction. We've glossed over what's happening back at home. And so after Barry Barrington left home, his parents are very, very upset about this. And they call the police. And the police are Diedrich Bader and Daryl Mitchell. Diedrich Bader from The Drew Carey Show, from Office Space, from the Beverly Hillbillies movie. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl Mitchell from Galaxy Quest. Yeah. I don't care what else he's in, he was in Galaxy Quest. All right? Pedal to the metal, Commander. And they play Ham and Cheats, Officer Ham and Officer Cheats. And they walk in, and this honestly got a big laugh out of me oh, yeah? just because of the performance. All three actors are so funny in this moment because they come in and they introduce themselves. Diedrich Bader says, I'm Officer Cheats. And Daryl Mitchell says, I'm Officer Ham. And Stephen Tobolowski goes, Ham and Cheats. And then Diedrich Bader goes, we get that all the time. And Stephen Tobolowski <laughs> goes, because it's your name. And then they go, yes. <laughs> Deadpan. The whole way. And it's amazing. I laughed so hard. Uh, it's a really good line, but Diedrich Bader is wearing this ridiculous fake mustache. Yep. And he's also doing a weird nasally high pitched voice, which I think is to distinguish the fact that he's doing double duty. And I was going to say, plays... do you think that mustache is a disguise so they won't confuse him with the bear? <laughs> yes, Robbie. The mustache is why they don't confuse him with the bear. <laughs> but he's also playing Ted Betterhead, the voice of Ted Betterhead. Which uses his more natural Diedrich Bader bass tones. And so in order to distinguish that voice, when he plays Officer Cheats, he's using a more high-pitched nasally voice. Which reminded me of the difference between pilot episode of the Drew Carey show, Oswald, and rest of the series of the Drew Carey show, Oswald. I don't know if you guys ever watched this, but in the pilot of the Drew Carey show, Diedrich Bader plays a totally different character. Really? He plays Oswald as a charming womanizer who has an extremely deep bass voice and he's always booing everyone around him and he talks like this Wait. all the time and he's funny and he's smart and he's clever. And in the second episode of the Drew Carey show, his voice is totally different and he's playing an extremely dumb, unlikable character that cannot get a date. Are you saying that in the Drew Carey show that Diedrich Bader's voice is he's putting an affectation on it for the entire show he is not doing his natural voice because oh they decided God. that he was too charming and they wanted him to be a nerdier character and so that's his nerdy voice holy shit his officer cheats voice is the voice he does throughout most of the drew carey yeah, show I, was, his, I thought that was his natural voice his natural voice is a lot deeper when he speaks it's closer to ted betterhead or the pilot episode man i mean if, if you if you need like any more proof that Diedrich bader is actually charming he's fucking batman and was Batman for many seasons on Batman the Brave and the Bold. I really like Diedrich Bader. He does some weird stuff sometimes. I Not quite as much as like Stephen Tobolowsky or Stephen Root, where it's like, no matter what it is, if he shows up, you're like, oh, this is going to be gold. But I still quite like Diedrich Bader. Even in, um, as you were referencing, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, some weird movies, uh, Kevin Smith movies. He's in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and he's doing his high-pitched voice again. That's because it's his nerdy voice. Yeah. That's crazy. That's his all-cops-are-Bader voice. 
<laughs> we haven't actually said uh, that Henry, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. Yeah, Kevin Michael Richardson plays the voice of Henry, the veteran voice actor. He does tons of stuff, yeah. and he's a great voice actor. Yeah. I'll also mention, I guess, we're talking about this. Toby Huss plays Tennessee O'Neill, which is another one of the bears that they pick up next, I believe. So we're actually just going to get to him. They got a lot of great character actors to be the voices of uh, all of the bears. And they all came together to make a great movie. You know why? Okay, this isn't probably where I should have shared this story. I should have shared this story in the scene where Christopher Walken enters the film, but I'm going to do it now. Do it now. (laughs) I'm going to do it now in case I forget. And the story is this. Apparently, when Christopher Walken signed on to do this movie, he told the director that this is the best script he's ever read. What? (laughs) (laughs) And then the, the director said, you can't be serious. And then Christopher Walker said, well... It's Deer Hunter or this. <laughs> and so that's how they got all of these people on board, because it was the best script that Christopher Walken had ever read. Okay. Second second to Deer Hunter. <laughs> I got a question for you. The first music video, they got that Crystal Harris person. Crystal Harris, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they got, for the second music video scene, we're cutting ahead a little bit, but they got a person named Jennifer Page, yep. which I am to be her... Like, this is her starring role, pretty much. She's also a pop star. It's basically like Blues Brothers, where they go to all of these different scenarios and they meet blues artists. Except in Blues Brothers, they meet amazing, famous, legendary blues artists. In this movie, they meet late 90s pop stars. But it works as a satire, I think. But then they get Bonnie Raitt is in this. Yeah, I know. And Elton fucking John. Yeah, so I no. was like, why did they start with those two? Who did they go to first? Who turned them down? And they went to those people. No offense to them, but there's a difference between Bonnie Raitt and Elton John and like the guy from the Eagles and <laughs> those two people. I mean, it might have been a production decision because they were trying to get contemporary artists. Like, you sure. know, you're trying okay. to do a four quadrant movie. Like you're trying to appeal to the current generation. You're not going to bring them in with Bonnie Raitt, maybe. It also might be that it's one thing to have Elton John come in for three hours to say two lines yeah, okay. and deliver a couple jokes. He's not going to do a full music video scene that takes three days to shoot. It's going to be harder for Elton John to sign on to that. He's going to be like, what do you want me to do? I'm not doing that. But you say like, I want you to come talk to some bears for two hours. You're going to be in this movie. He'll be like, fuck, whatever. I don't fucking care. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But that was it. I was just like, why did they – like, there seems to be a, a – no offense, but a quality difference between, like, the people they got to do those full-fledged music video numbers and just, like, people mm-hmm. who were just having, like, couple-line cameos. Yeah, no, fair enough. And we'll get to uh, Jennifer Page very shortly. Did she, did she have the song Crush? Oh, really? She did. That's her big hit. Yeah, it's okay. It's just so... a little crush. Yeah, that's right. That's her. Okay. And I, I only remember that because there's a guy doing a 360 flip in it on a skateboard. And again, back oh to- Oh, my God. Board background. And that was like 1999. Yeah. So that was very recent when they did this. Yeah. So she was- a, Gotcha. She just recently had a number one hit. And yeah. then Crystal Harris was just recently had did like The Princess Diaries. So- Which is, which is Disney, correct? It makes a certain amount of sense why these would be the people they'd pick. We're still- I think we're- So we're still talking the cop thing. This was another moment that I was like, fuck, this movie's good. And because I know I texted a picture to the group as I was watching it. The family portraits of Barry Barrington in the background are 
fucking hilarious. Yeah? It's these little moments that was like, they knew what they were doing. They were just having fun with this. And yeah, and they they, they give my favorite picture to Deirdrick Bader as a reference to find him. And they have two of my favorite Chicken Boo-esque jokes in it. The first is when they're giving the cops the kid's name, they say his name is Barry Barrington. Uh. And then Deirdrick Bader says... So that's spelled B-A-R-R. And she goes, no, it's B-E-A-R, like the German spelling of the name. And then they both nod and go, ah, yes. And then the brother is like, what? (laughs) Dex is just, what? He's so frustrated. And then when they hand the picture of the bear to the cop, the cop goes, oh, so he looks like a fourth grader. And then they all go, yeah. And then Dex is just, I'm going to my room because he's the one person in this world who understands the chicken boo is a chicken. And I thought it was hilarious. And then they give that uh, that picture to Big Al and Big Al says, uh, they ask him, does he look like this? He goes, yeah, but he's a bit taller and not as flat. Like, I loved it so much. (laughs) And then Diedrich Bader in a complete deadpan goes, yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So then they go to find Tennessee O'Neill, and Tennessee O'Neill is no longer a musician. He is a marriage counselor, and you cut to him counseling this couple who are having wedding difficult or marriage difficulties, and they are complaining that they don't understand each other, and he counsels them by breaking into tears and saying, well, at least you have each other, not like me and Trixie, and then he just starts weeping until they leave. (laughs) <laughs> the thing is, is that if you look on the wall, he has multiple diplomas or degrees. It's not close enough or it's not in focus enough for me to tell what kind of degrees they are, but he's got at least four of them. So I'm assuming this guy has at least a master's degree of yeah. some sort. Like he went to a substantial amount of school to become <laughs> a marriage counselor, presumably the only bear in class. And was successful enough to open up his own clinic. He has his own practice. Which people find helpful because he cries so much that they don't want to ever go back. So they just decide to have a better relationship <laughs> yeah, so they don't have to see him so again. so much that, they, that he doesn't have Trixie anymore. As they're leaving, they're like, oh, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> we, have we gotten to this point? Is it before or after this where you get the shot of what Christopher Walken is planning to do to Country Bear Lodge? Right before this. For a second, I thought that they were doing the like multiple takes of the same thing. And I was like, how many models did they build as he's just continuously getting joy out of crushing all of these models of Country Bear Lodge? And then it cuts beside his desk and there's a pile of them. I want to talk about the scene from the beginning. Christopher Walken is sitting in his office. He stands up. And he is wearing a dress shirt and tie with no pants. Yep. He's wearing boxer shorts. Yep. And he has on bunny slippers. Yep. He then proceeds to dance around his office for a little while uh-huh. before he puts a model of Country Bear Hall on his desk, okay. presses a button, and a giant oversized novelty weight falls from the ceiling and crushes Country Bear Hall. Makes perfect sense. At which point he goes, oh no! (laughs) Country Bear Hall is crushed! And I just want to remind everyone, this was the best script he's ever read. (laughs) (laughs) And then he crushes Country Bear Hall like six more times, and every time he says, oh no! Country Bear Hall is crushed! Oh no! Every time. It's it was yeah. honestly it's my favorite thing Christopher Walken has ever done. <laughs> and then it cuts to a, a pile of broken models beside his desk. He's been doing this all day. In his boxers. 
which tells me that like his office is closed for the day. This is just what he does at night. <laughs> and he's a banker. So they've picked up Tennessee because he doesn't. He's not going to be a marriage counselor. He goes along pretty quickly, but he says, "I can't really do." I, I don't think I can play the one string thing anymore because I don't have Trixie. She was my inspiration. She was the love of my life. She was the pianist in the band. And so they go to like a pancake house, like a like a diner. It's the it's the pancake house for even Stevens. Yeah. And he says it doesn't even matter because nobody knows who the country bears are anymore. And the waitress comes up to them and she says, Aren't you the country bears? I love you. You're what inspired me to become a singer. And they say, Really? And she says, Yeah. I do a version of your song, Get It Into Gear. And they're like, oh, that's a really old, corny song. She's like, oh, I have my own arrangement. At which point, everyone in the kitchen jumps out and starts (laughs) playing their pots and pans as if they're instruments. And then everyone in this diner pulls out instruments and starts playing this song and starting an entire dance sequence that I believe is supposed to actually be happening in front of them. Oh, it's diegetic. Because everyone in this diner just is regularly yeah. playing music. The whole diner knows this entire number. Yeah. They have this rehearsed. Because this is the only place she plays it. She does it all the time. All the time. Yep. Yeah. This is why she just is practicing. All of the regulars know her. This is her shtick. One day she's going to make it big. She's got this down packed. She was looking for the moment when the country bears showed up at her diner by chance so she could play it for Can them. Can you imagine? This is like the big break moment. This is like yes. the story that you tell 100%. yourself when you go to sleep. When you're like, you know, if the country bears ever come in and I play my song for them, that's going to be my big break. Except the country bears come in, she plays the song for them, and then they're like, thanks. And they leave. And they run away without paying the fucking check. <laughs> Don't play the check. <laughs> and then nothing happens. She doesn't get her big She's break. at the end, at the concert, watching. They don't In the play. audience. She's not on stage. They, they don't, like, come on stage and sing, no, get I it into gear. they were going to do that. That's what they do. They should have brought everybody on stage to sing that they met along the way. That's what you yeah. did. They didn't do that. It's just... Only person that goes on stage is the Country Bears. Well, we'll talk about the ending, except not only do they not do that, they play the worst song in the movie, but we'll get to it. Yeah. So she does this rockin' arrangement of Get It Into Gear. It's a generic rock song, but, you know, it's a kick-ass generic rock song. And she jumps around. Everyone in the the, the diner brings out brass arrangements, and they just start playing. People, uh, there's a guy scratching DJs on the dining room stools. And the drums are just uh, buckets that they had food in. They turned upside down. They're just banging on them. The guitar solo is has a salt shaker as a guitar slide. It is fantastic. I thought it was a shot glass. No, it was a salt shaker. Oh, okay. Missed it. Because it's a diner. There's no shot glass. Yeah, right. What kind of pancake house is he going to? <laughs> um, and then after this dance sequence, when she finishes the song, the country bears are like, that was awesome. But then they look at the TV, and on the TV, <laughs> there's breaking news where they announce that Barry Barrington has been kidnapped by Henry, <laughs> the owner of uh, the Country Bear Hall, MC Ganey who has a file photo of himself grinning for the camera, basically giving the thumbs up. Yeah. It's a hilarious file photo where they're like, stolen by this man. And he's just like, hey. <laughs> and they're like, and his chicken. And then they have a file photo of his chicken yeah. who kidnapped Barry Barrington. And they say they may be traveling in this vehicle. And it's a file photo of the, the bus that they're in. And they're like, we will update you as more information becomes available on Bus watch. (laughs) And so, uh, and at that exact moment, ham and cheese walk into the diner and they say, zoinks, we gots to get out of here. So they sneak out the back and Diedrich Bader and Daryl Mitchell sit down and Daryl Mitchell out the window sees them getting on the bus and he says, suspicious activity at two o'clock. 
And Diedrich Bader looks at his watch and says, now, how would you know that? And he's so angry and accusatory that it's, it, it made me laugh. Is like, that a ding? It's, I, it made me laugh. It's a dumb joke. And I mean, there's variations on that joke all the time. Two o'clock and then they look at their watch. But Diedrich Bader was so like, oh, come on now. How would you know that at two o'clock? <laughs> then they get in their cop car and they go on a chase and they chase the tour bus into a car wash. The car wash is like the one moment in this whole, well, the one moment in a film with fucking talking bears that play musical instruments. But it's the one moment that is just like so over the top that you're like, okay, can we can we get past this a little bit quicker, please? The scene is way too long. Yeah. It's like six minutes long of them. Because what happens is, they drive the cop car into the car wash and then they get stuck in the car wash and Diedrich Bader tries to climb out the window of the cop car and get sucked into the machinery of the car wash and then Daryl Mitchell gets sucked into the machinery and for like six minutes, it's them just being tossed around by the car wash machinery and it's amusing, but it's way too long for the paltry amount of jokes that they yeah. squeeze out of that. Bobby, what do you think? Um, as a commentary on the stability of the thin blue line, it was top tier. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I forgot something. I was going to say something I forgot. It's back at the diner. I want to add something in that scene. When Tennessee is complaining about Trixie, and then he says, Trixie left me. And they say, what happened? And he says, Trixie left me for a panda. Oh, yeah. And then Fred Betterhead, I think, says, pandas? Why do they get everything? And so I wrote it down as, aha, another one of our spot that racism examples. I thought that too. So- they're racist country bears, but it might be accurate. They are from the country. So there we go. <laughs> One of them's name is literally Tennessee. They uh, they don't take kindly to them pandas. Fuck, that was sinister. <laughs> All right. So they escape from Diedrich Bader, ham and cheese. They drive off, and now they're going to get the last and key member of the group, Ted Betterhead, the one that broke up the group in the first place. I liked the escape from the car wash because you reveal that the bus has been so dirty that this was their tour bus in the 1970s that has all of them like riding motorcycles with unicorns and rainbows and a starry red <laughs> landscape that got another genuine laugh out of yeah. me. And uh, the name of their farewell tour was called the hibernation tour. And it's just been on the bus the entire time, but it was so dusty you couldn't read it. So they go to get uh, Ted Betterhead. And they have an address where they can find him. And they go up to this large mansion and they go up to the gates and they see someone working in the garden. Oh, we've, uh, no, we've, uh, we've skipped over getting Trixie because oh, they I'm stop sorry. at a hotel. You're right. Yeah. I'm, we skipped Trixie. Yeah. All right. Let's go back. So after yeah. I have a note that says Trixie gets the shaft in this movie and we're giving Trixie yeah. the shaft in our podcast. I'm sorry. I totally forgot about Trixie. So, uh, all right. They escape from Diedrich Bader and they hide out in a motel. And just coincidentally, that motel is the exact motel where Trixie is playing with her band. And they're watching a cartoon in the motel room that's like a Hanna-Barbera Yogi Bear cartoon, but it's of the country bears. And it is a perfect parody. It is so funny. It's very good. It's also uh, like a satire of the Beatles cartoon from the 60s. Yeah. It's like the Beatles slash uh, Yogi Bear. It's a perfect satire and they're all watching it. And then like Zeb Zuber goes, this is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> they just cut away. Uh, I also want to point out 
that we have recorded for an hour and 40 minutes, which is 20 minutes longer than the movie The Country Bears, and we're not even close to being done this. It, it, there, there, there are that many layers to this yeah. movie. It goes so deep. <laughs> they go in and out. It's tightly paced, Rob. Yeah. Those jokes come at you <laughs> rat-a-tat-tat, okay? Barry Barrington discovers that Trixie is playing at the bar of this motel, and she has a band that I think has like seven people in it. <laughs> I think there's more people in her band than in the audience at the bar. There's more people in her band than in The Country Bears. I think her band has two women Who's who just play the tambourine? She has two tambourine people. Perfect. And she's playing in like a motel bar. That doesn't seem to be financially responsible. I guess that's what she's doing. But the rest of the band comes in. Trixie sees that Tennessee has walked in. And she plays like a piano love ballad that he wrote when they were part of the band because she's basically saying that she's always been in love with him. And she sits down and she plays what is clearly an Eagles song because this was written by the Eagles. Specifically, it was written by Don Hetty of the Eagles who does the singing voice for Tennessee and then Bonnie Raitt does the singing voice for Trixie and they do this eagles style piano ballad together um it's it's a nice eagle song (laughs) do you remember the time you bought hotel california on vinyl (laughs) me yeah this this is what this brought me back to this is another another trip down memory lane for us no but that's what i keep you around for bobby because you tell me all the stories of my life that i have forgotten because of the rock and roll lifestyle that i lead so we bought we went to a record shop and we were all just getting into records it would have been about 16 17 somewhere around there you bought a copy of hotel california you may have even pointed out i fucking hate the eagles and i fucking hate (laughs) hotel california and you bought the record anyway you came home we're driving your mom's car and she was looking at the record you bought, and she went, oh, you bought Hotel California. You took it out of her hand because you were still in the driver's seat of the car and threw it out the window into the road. <laughs> you proceeded to run over the record in the car and back it up several times while your mother stood there being like, I don't understand. I like that record. You took it inside and hung the record on your wall. <laughs> That you had run over. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember it hanging on my wall. It had the tire marks on it. It had, like, (laughs) the big tire marks across the record. And that is all I could think about watching this scene. Oh, that's funny. So out of all the Eagles repertoire, this is one that I maybe wouldn't run over with my car. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, Trixie pretty easily jumps into the band after they play their Eagles song. Yeah, she forgives Tennessee. I don't know what their deal was, but they just get back to- She ran off with a panda, but the panda's not there anymore. Okay, like, okay, man, I forgive. So there's no one to be racist to, so then she just- just, um, They just get back together real quick like there seems to be no conflict there whatsoever it's just like hey come sing it with me we're good to go now after they have trixie they travel to the final member of the band ted betterhead that's like trixie's last line of dialogue in the whole film right yeah she doesn't get much after that yeah unfortunately like you said this movie is like an hour and 20 minutes long there's hour 28 they were cutting a lot out of the later portion of this movie i kind of feel like it's almost like they were editing it linearly and it was like they were running out of time mm. because like as the movie gets closer to the end, they just start rushing through stuff. Yes. Clearly like like Ted Betterhead is supposed to be like a third act like this is 
almost the climax because he's he's like built up to be like the only person that they have difficulty getting right but it's so quick everything near the yeah everything near the end of the movie seems they just rush through it as if yeah as if they're shooting it live they're like fuck guys fuck 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 we're running out of daylight <laughs> shoot 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 so they go to ted betterhead they go to this mansion where they believe they can find him there's a gardener out front the gardener is elton john they ask elton john where they can find ted betterhead he says he's at a garden party at this other address he tells them where to go they walk away and one of the bears i believe it's fred goes that gardener looks a lot like elton john uh zabumafu says <laughs> no elton john is taller which is funny because that's exactly what i said the time that elton john spit on me what <laughs> what let me tell you the story of the time that elton john spit on me i'm sure you told me this before but i have no memory of this please this was uh downtown toronto i was uh walking around around lunchtime near the eaton center and i walked past this uh brand new rental black suv as i was walking <laughs> past the driver gets out and he's very well dressed and he walks around to the back door of the suv and he opens it for someone and just as he opens it i'm walking past that back door and an old man jumps out and horks on my feet just like just a giant loogie and my first instinct is obviously oh my god i'm being spit on and my second instinct is oh but this is an old man I don't want to make a big deal out of it or make him feel uncomfortable. Old men sometimes do not have control over their bodily functions. Okay. Perhaps he was having too much mastication as they came <laughs> to the curb, and I didn't want to make him feel embarrassed or bad. So I didn't make a big deal. I didn't say anything to him. I just stepped away, and I kept walking. And I took two more steps, and then I stopped. <laughs> and then a voice in my head said, that old man looked a lot like Elton John. <laughs> and then I turned around and he he went into this restaurant that was serving lunch at the time. And he was followed by two younger children. And I said, does Elton John have children? And I Googled it. And there are pictures of him with his partner with the two children. And the two children look exactly like the two children that just walked in to that restaurant. And I said, is Elton John playing a concert in Toronto today? So I Googled Elton John concert tour and he had all his itinerary there and he was not playing a concert in Toronto. And I said, ah, oh, damn it. That would have sealed the deal. That would have made it for sure that it's Elton John. Except then I looked at what he was playing and the previous day he had played a concert in Michigan and tomorrow he was playing a concert in New York. And then I plugged those two locations into Google Maps, and right between those two locations on the fastest route was Toronto, which he would have got to right around lunchtime today. And I said, <laughs> oh my god, Elton John just spit on me. <laughs> I would have thought he was taller. <laughs> okay, so by this point in the story, you've had time to Google two separate Elton John-related incidents. How long were you standing outside this restaurant staring at him? <laughs> well, he went into the restaurant. <laughs> I was standing outside the restaurant, staring at my phone, looking like a weirdo with a bunch of mucus on my shoe. But it was well worth it. It is. I just, in my mind, I'm just like, I have him and his children being like, he's staring at me. <laughs> he's still out there. <laughs> like looking at him, Googling. I'm pretty sure I spit on that guy. Do you think he's waiting for us? <laughs> okay. 
all of that amazing. Were you just hoping that one day we were going to get to a movie that starred Elton John? Like, is Kingsman the Golden Compass on Disney Plus? Kingsman the Golden Compass is on Disney Plus because that's a 20th Century Fox movie. Sure. So in Canada, we have it on our star platform. Yeah. Um, but no, that's just one of those stories I can pull out of the hat. Who knows what I'm going to talk about next week, Robbie? <laughs> That's amazing. Who knows what 70s pop star will spit on me next. So uh, they go to this garden party that they were directed to. They find Ted Betterhead. He doesn't want to have anything to do with them. He says, get lost. I don't want to rejoin the band. I hate you all. They initially start to leave, but his brother, Fred, says, no, I'm going to talk to him again. And he walks back and he finds out that Ted Betterhead isn't the host of this party. He is not invited to this party. He does not own the property. He is actually the wedding singer because this is a wedding party and he is a wedding singer. He is not successful. He does not own that mansion that they went to because that actually was Elton John, just like it was Elton John who spit on me. <laughs> you guys need to come up with a, a name for my oh, segment on yes. pop stars that spit on me. That was Sean with Spit Shine. Tune in next week. <laughs> Find out what will fall from the stars on Sean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, you got anything better? No, come on. You don't You don't get anything better than falling from the stars? <laughs> Elton John spit on Sean's shoes. <laughs> That's just a statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like the podcast for <laughs> tennis shoes. I was trying to figure the same, like, uh, syllable. We'll go with, and that was Dropping from the Stars with your host, Sean Erker. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about now? They kidnap Ted and they throw him in the bus. <laughs> And then they're going to go do the concert with or without him, but I guess with him. They punch him in the face, knock him unconscious, and drag him into the back of the They have an argument. He says, I don't, you know, you guys aren't my family. I don't have any family. They basically, they have to get to this character arc stuff so that Barry Barrington goes, oh, you guys aren't a real family. My real family is the people that care about me, which is the family I left, and I should go back to them. So he goes back to his family. He walks and or runs back to his family. Jogs back to his family in an afternoon? In a matter of minutes. Okay, so the Barringtons are clearly living in, I'm going to guess, one of the Carolinas? Sure. Ted Barrington, or sorry, Ted Betterhead, yeah. is living in L.A. Yes. Barry Barrington runs from L.A. <laughs> back to Carolina. At any rate, he goes home and he says, all right, well, that was fun, but now I need to have the exact same sequence that happens in Almost Famous. And so now we get the ending of Almost Famous, where Billy Crudup shows up. I wrote up. that down. I wrote that down. <laughs> It's the exact same scene. It's the exact same scene. And Elton John was like two seconds before, and I was like, holy crap, this is the perfect- Hold me closer, Tiny Dancer. It's yeah. the exact same scene, exact same movie. But he shows up and he says, I was wrong. You won me over. We're going to publish your Rolling Stones story the way that you wrote it. And then he says, we're going to do the concert, but only if you join us. And so he comes out of the house. And then we get what is clearly like 10 minutes of the movie that's been cut, because something happened that right. they have- in editing, just replaced with Christopher Walken stole our bus. <laughs> and then there's a shot of the bus <laughs> driving and what is clearly a reused clip of Christopher Walken going <laughs> laughing evilly. Then they just cut to Christopher Walken having kidnapped all of the bears. Yeah. Something was missing there. They cut it out of the movie because they're like, we need to get in and out in a tight 129, boys. I made so, that note too. I said, what did I miss? Like, because I had actually just like got up and like I walked out of the room for two seconds and then I came back and all of a sudden Christopher Walken has like an ammo belt and the bears are in a cage and I was like, what the fuck? I was out for 10 seconds. What happened? They cut something out of the movie. Yeah. Like, there was there was a whole 
whole section with Christopher Walken, which is unfortunate because I imagine it would be amazing. Yeah. Because all of Christopher Walken stuff <laughs> is amazing. He's so good in this. And then we get the twist reveal. Bobby, tell me the twist of the movie. So earlier in the film, they talk about, and they have the footage of it, of the country bears at like a battle of the bands or a local talent show. I, I don't know if it's supposed to be like their, is it supposed to be their first show or the first thing that got them noticed? It's the first thing that got them noticed. They won like a local Carolina talent contest where they were number one and that was their big break. And they beat a kid doing armpit farts. <laughs> and you see a band full of bears beating a child <laughs> who has just with his hand up his shirt who's been doing armpit farts. And they make the comment of, man, was that guy ever a sore loser? As all the bears are locked up, Christopher Walken says... I've been waiting 30 years to do this to all of you. And you're like, what's going on? What's his problem? Christopher Walken sticks his hand up his shirt <laughs> and does a, like, 30-second armpit fart solo <laughs> to reveal he is that kid from the beginning of the movie. And this twist came out of nowhere, and I sat there in disbelief saying, did the country bears just pull one over on me? <laughs> so Christopher Walken's character is named Reed Thimple. The kid that they beat in the contest is named Benny... Bog swaggle. <laughs> so he changed his yes. name in order to trick the country bears. He has spent his entire life trying to get revenge, Benny Bogswaggle, for the time that they defeated him in a local talent contest. What I love about this sequence, both in the initial flashback where they describe the scene where they got their big break, and in Christopher Walken's description of the flashback where it is much more extensive and he talks about the pain of losing. It's shot in black and white, and it's shot like it's the psychic flashbacks from the Japanese film Ringu. <laughs> like, it's slightly hazy and out of focus, and it's just shot from, like, the audience where it's almost like someone brought in, like, this old 16-millimeter camera to record this horrifying incident where Benny Bogswaggle gets <laughs> defeated at the talent contest. Because it's, like, it's shot... From the audience, as if you're seeing this moment where, like, everything started and his whole life went in a different direction and he's just enraged and his pure rage has led him to try to get revenge, much like the demonic creature from The Ring. Um, that's <laughs> what it reminded me of. I loved he had a good line after he's monologuing and he's done that and he says, uh, I've been waiting 30 years to get my revenge on you. And he goes, that day is tonight. It's such a good delivery. <laughs> like, the only way Christopher Walken could say it. It's so good. The best script he's ever <laughs> read. It's like, point of reference, he is more evil in this scene than he is in True Romance. That is what came to mind for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really quickly want to go back and touch on Dex. Dex, his brother's wall. Very briefly. Just because it was 2002, I just happened to notice that his brother has not one, not two, but three Limp Bizkit posters on his wall. One from each of their albums. Because I texted you one picture <laughs> yep. saying, you know this character is an asshole when he has a Limp Bizkit poster on his wall. And you said, save it for the it pod. It the Frosted Tips. It was the Limp Bizkit poster. And then I kept watching and I went, wait a minute. And I rewound and paused because there is one from Significant Other, the second album. There is one from $3 Billy All. And as it pans over under the Nine Inch Nails poster, it's a chocolate starfish in the hot dog flavored water poster. He has been following Fred Durst's career by this point. And he's like... Probably 14 or something. Which, like, I don't know if you remember being 14 in 2002. Like, 
Limp Bizkit were starting to fade by that point, but like they were like top of their game after Chocolate Starfish, uh, which is, gotta hate that band and Fred Durst. <laughs> well, there is a potential sequel to this movie where Dex, 20 years later, tries to get Limp Bizkit back together. <laughs> He's played by John Travolta. Is it, What's it called? Just Limp Bizkit, not the Country Bears? It's just called Limp Bizkit? No, it's called the Country Bears 2. <laughs> the Country Bears 2. No, there's no subtitle. It's just Country Bears 2. <laughs> the brother also has every single Thrasher sticker imaginable from the year, the early 2000s up on his bookshelf. Are we getting an episode of Background Boards with Bob? We are getting an episode of Background Boards. He has every single Thrasher sticker that came out at the time, including one that says www.thrashermagazine.com, because this predates Google, where if you wanted to go to a website, you had to know its name. You had to know the domain. And so you could get stickers with company websites on them, and he has that on his bookshelf in case he forgets. Well, that's another episode of Board in the Background (laughs) with Bob. Is that that everything? Is that all for Board in the Background? background and like all their like really early 2000s new metal posters he's got on his wall that brings us basically to the climax so the family after finding that the bears have been kidnapped by christopher walken they brother realizes this is dex's big moment to reach out and have a connection with his brother because he doesn't really hate his brother he's realized that he loves his brother because he's like the protagonist of this like he has the emotional arc and he's in like three scenes it's very weird i want to i want to comment on something though sean um before we get to dex when Steven Tobolowski runs down the stairs and hugs that fucking puppet of a bear, I believed every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> he loves that bear. He hates his biological yep. son. His frosted-tipped, limp biscuit son. He loves this bear he found in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but Dex realizes that... The bears have been taken in the tour bus. All of Barry's stuff was in the tour bus, including his... Tracking collar. Which had been in his backpack since the beginning of the movie. And then Dex uses the tracking device to follow the tracking collar so they know where the rest of the bears are. They get everybody in the car. Ted Betterhead doesn't fit in the car, so he goes into the boat. And then they drag the boat along. Because he's a bear, Sean. He's he's a grizzly bear. Doesn't fit in the car. He's a grizzly yeah. bear. No. Doesn't fit in the car. Yeah. So he has to ride in a boat that they attach to the back of the car. And then they drive through because this is a Disney movie. It's not in the 70s, but they thought, well, we got to have a car chase. So they race through town to get to the warehouse where the bears are being kept. They break into the warehouse. Christopher Walken is already gone, though, because he is going to go tear down. Oh, no. They all get into the tour bus. They all drive to Country Bear Hall. They get there and they say, Christopher Walken can't tear it down if we play this concert. But they are shocked to discover that the audience isn't there. They had thought they had arranged to have an organizer and a promoter bring all the audience in, but Christopher Walken had outsmarted them and he had paid off the promoter not to bring in an audience. And so um, there's You guys also kept saying car. It's not a car. They're a family in the early 2000s. It's a GMC Safari. It's a minivan. And the only reason I bring up the fact that it's a GMC Safari, which is a van that everybody's family had, and yes, this is another edition of Torch Talk. Yes, thank you. Uh, from my days in the scrapyard. They have polished chrome rims on their GMC Safari, which is not a thing anybody in their right mind would ever do, but... The Barrington family goes out in style with their fully waxed GMC Safari with polished chrome rims. Maybe it has no relevance to this podcast. Maybe you'll cut it. I thought that was funny. Oh, no, that is definitely going (laughs) in the podcast. That's going at the beginning. That's our intro. Yes, I get an intro. Okay, here's the question. Do you think Barrington is A, their real name, or B, did they get Barry B 
because their last name is Barrington. Or did they change their last name to Barrington in spite of Dex? Despite Dex. <laughs> they forced his name. <laughs> he was he was Dex Smith. They were all sticks. And then one day they came home and they're like, your new name is Barrington. You're going to be named after your brother. Did your name is Dexter Barrington? Oh, fuck. <laughs> We're all named after your brother. We love him more than you. They said that right off the bat. <laughs> and from this moment on, you have to share your room with a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Who cannot manipulate a pencil without tearing the sheet to shreds. He gets a bed. He lives in your room. <laughs> your name is <laughs> And you'll be happy about it. (laughs) Okay, so Christopher Walken thinks that he's won. He outsmarted them. They don't have an audience, except then Big Al comes in and he says, what are you talking about? The audience is around back. I wanted to keep them off the grass. And he opens up the door and hundreds of people pour in, excited to see the Country Bears, and despite the fact that they didn't even promote it, somehow word still got out, and everyone is there to see the concert. They pass around a hat, and they raise $20,000. I have a theory. I don't have very many theories, but I have a theory. There is one shot when they're in the diner, uh, and Dietrich Bader, uh, Cheese and Ham, look out the window, and all of the bears run into the bus except for barry barrington goes back and like gives jennifer page a hug and then like he'd talk he's been talking to her and then in the concert at the very end there's one shot of jennifer page giving like a knowingling nod to the the stage i think she somehow promoted that because there's no explanation for it otherwise besides the fact that maybe it's just like they were on this sort of cross-country rampage and they were in the news and they didn't even call her on stage they didn't call her on stage i mean it wouldn't make sense because every other plan that barry barrington has is to just get someone else to do the work for him so if his plan is Waitress, why don't you promote our concert for us? That's my big plan. I guess that makes sense with his character. Because I thought it was really strange that they did a double cut back to that. Because there's the one shot of them sneaking out of the bus, but then they, like, linger on that one shot for a couple seconds too long. Well, like I said, I think there's, like, 25 minutes missing from the third yeah. act of this movie. But, sure. All right. I'll buy it. Let's say that that's what happened. At any rate, the the audience is there. They make the $20,000. Christopher Walken gets, like, dragged out of the concert, and he goes, I'll get you next time, country bears! As you said, cut for time. They, like, (laughs) they basically... Big Al lets everyone in and then says, and look at all this money I got. And just like has a giant bucket full of, a basket full of cash, right? It's not even like they're like, hey, everybody, please give us money or something. They don't pass it around. They don't do anything. It's just like everyone comes in. By the way, all the problems are solved. Let's have a musical. The end. They're coming up fast on that hour 29 yeah. mark, man. And they need to get out. So they were like, wrap it up, people. Someone else is coming in here. It's 2002, (laughs) all right? There's another movie that needs this theater in like five minutes. So let's just wrap this up now, okay? Spider-Man 2 is... No, Spider-Man 1. 
Spider-Man 1. That should be the joke. <laughs> what? You mean what? what, what? It's 2002, people. Spider-Man 1 needs to use this theater in five minutes, so let's wrap up the plot. Anyway, that's the end of the movie. They play a Just, bad song. This was song. at the point I was checking IMDb, and I was like, Jess Harnell is in this movie. When's Jess Harnell in the movie? Jess Harnell's not in the movie till the very end of the movie, and he's the long-haired guy at the front of the crowd who yes! talks. Yes! Bender's in this! No, that is John DiMaggio. Oh, sorry. This is going back to Sean's earlier talk from earlier in the podcast. Jess Harnell is Wacko Warner. So I was, and then as soon as you said that, I was like, that's why Jess Harnell is in this. Okay, this makes sense. I thought it was Bender. They kind of look kind of similar. They look absolutely nothing alike. Okay, I'm wrong. So they play this song called Straight to the Heart of Love. Um, it's the worst song in the movie. None of the songs in the movie are particularly great, but some of them are better than this one. Uh, they really should have played that... Uh, they should have played something with some tempo, like something to go out on a high note, give it some energy, have everyone dancing, kick it into gear. They could have just played the song from the opening. Again. That one wasn't bad. It was called Let It Ride. I kind of like that one. It's a pleasant, generic, folky country song, yeah. but it's a nice song. This Straight to the Heart of Love one just annoys the shit out of me. It's a bad song. But they play that, and then they all have a concert, they all cheer, and then that's the end of the movie. Over the closing credits, they have interviews with all of the stars in the movie where they talk about how important the country bears were to their music careers including some like Exhibit who weren't in the movie, but they just are there to talk about how important- <laughs> And Wyclef Jean. And Wyclef Jean to talk about how important the country bears were to them. Generally, that's it though. Do you have anything else to say about it? I think we covered more than I ever thought we ever would with the country bears. I don't think I have, I don't think anyone has anything else to say about this movie. But you know, it's funny, the the first IMDb review I read for this, when you kind of said, "I what's wrong, I like this movie, the first one that popped up for me was 10 out of 10, and the title was, yeah, that's right, I bought the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I totally would have if it wasn't on Disney+. Plus. I liked this movie, and I'm just going to tell you guys, I said before we went in that this is going to be shockingly high on my list. I'm putting this at number five. What? This is going right below The Great Muppet Caper. And I think it's a it's a high five. Like, I think The Great Muppet Caper is a better movie, but I think this is a good movie. I'm, I'm just behind you. I'm at number six. So it is behind Muppet Caper and behind Hocus Pocus. It was... I don't want to use the word hidden gem of a movie, but I was shocked at how enjoyable this was. Everybody in the world is wrong, in my opinion. Like, I think this is a good movie. I don't know what happened that everyone decided this wasn't a good movie. I put it at number seven. So it's right behind Flight of the Navigator. For me. Talking about 2002, Disney didn't have the best year, perhaps characterized and captured by how poorly the country bears did. Starts off, beginning of the year, they launch with Snow Dogs, the Cuba Gooding Jr. dog sled movie. Didn't do very well. Touchstone releases The Count of Monte Cristo, the Jim Caviezel Guy Pierce film. Oh, that tanked hard. Then they released what may have been the most successful movie that they released that year, Return to Neverland Peter Pan 2, which was a Disney Toon film that got a theatrical release, but somehow made $105 million worldwide. Cost like $10 million because it was a Disney Toon release, which is their shitty animation studio that no longer Sequel exists department. anymore, but mostly did straight-to-video stuff, but sometimes would produce stuff that went to theaters. After that, they released Sorority Boys, which is the Harlan Williams dresses up like a woman. Harlan Williams? Ah, uh, yes. Then they released the Dennis Quaid movie, The Rookie. Oh, yeah. Then Touchstone released the Tim Allen movie, Big Trouble. I saw that in theaters because you thought it was big trouble in little china uh for whatever big reason big trouble with china. tim allen <laughs> uh 
No, it was the period where I went and saw every movie ever in theaters. It was like when it was just like, another movie's out. Let's go watch if it. If you saw every single movie ever, maybe you will know this next film because I do not. Okay. Touchstone released a film apparently called Frank McCluskey C.I. Nope, never heard of it. <laughs> I've never heard of it either. What? It was a comedy that starred an actor, I think by the name of Dave Sheridan. I'm Googling. Who was also in the movie The Bubble Boy? With Jake Gyllenhaal? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know any of this. I'm not sure that this exists, but it apparently does, according to the list. Of- Frank, no, no, it's, 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 no, Sean's right. Frank McCluskey, C.U.I., starring Randy Quaid. Ooh, well, Randy Quaid. Who do you think is third billing in this film? I'm not sure. Dolly Parton. <laughs> okay. All right. This this movie exists. Oh, and- China's um- in it. Kevin Pollock's in it. Tracy Morgan. Andy Richter. Can we do this next? Um- Galaxy Quest guy, <laughs> uh, the the lead um, alien, Tim Allen. No, no, the lead so, alien, uh, Enrico. Yes, Colin Tony, Adam Carolla, George Lopez. Jesus, what is this film? <laughs> I'm moving on, Rob. They also released the film Bad Company. This is another Touchstone release. This is the Anthony Hopkins Chris Rider, Rock remake Strike movie. Then, okay, actually, this is this is their most successful probably of the year. Lilo and Stitch. Oh, that nice. movie's like actually good too. Then they released Reign of Fire Touchstone release. Fuck, I love that movie so much. I want to see it so bad. Have you never seen that movie? Why Bobby? the fuck would I ever see that movie? Because it's. I also have never seen this. Oh movie. my god, we can do it for the oh podcast. Oh my god, it's. Bald Matthew McConaughey fighting dragons with harpoon guns. And Christian Bale. And fucking Leonidas, King Leonidas from Three Hundred. What's his name? Gerard Butler? Gerard Butler's in that movie. So anyway, Reign of Fire uh, coming up next week on the podcast War Tennis. <laughs> Inside of that are Three Musketeers. Like, <laughs> Actually, we already know what we're doing next week, so it'll have to be the week after. Okay, I have to keep correcting myself as I keep re- reading down this list, but they did have a couple of big hits, and their next one was a very big hit. Signs. Signs made like $300 million. Oh, it made so much money. So moving on, Sweet Home Alabama, Moonlight Mile. That's the Jake Gyllenhaal, Dustin Hoffman. I used to own that movie. Tuck Everlasting. The Santa Claus 2, Rob, another Tim Allen classic. Yeah, yeah. The Santa Claus 2. <laughs> Treasure Planet. Bombs terribly. Bombed hard. Rob Schneider's The Hot Chick. <laughs> that actually probably made money. And then Edward Norton's 25th Mile. 25th Mile? What's that one? 25th Hour. Oh, yeah. 25th Hour. <laughs> Fucking hell. Edward Norton's <laughs> 25th Hour. That's a Spike Jones, Spike Lee movie, isn't it? Other than Signs and arguably Lilo and Stitch, this was a pretty weak year. I think it was definitely uh, quantity over quality there. Well, Rob, in your best Christopher Walken, give us your catchphrase. Juice? No thanks. I'm not thirsty. Wow, that was awful. That was I know. really let me, bad. Let me try it again. Let me try <laughs> it Do it as Big Al. I'll edit that out so no one will ever know how bad that was. Thank you. You're going to play that like four times. Oh, it's going to be at the beginning. Yeah, it's going to be the new theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. Can I try one more time? Please, can I try to redeem myself? All right, try to redeem yourself. But I got to start with, oh, no. No, thanks. I'm not thirsty. That was was a little worse. (laughs) Somehow it was Ah, worse. Fuck you all. I'm out. It, it, leaving. It, 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 that turned into that time Sean tried to do Edwin and it turned into Christopher Walken. That's what that's a callback to. <laughs> <laughs> Try to do Edwin. Try to do Edwin and it'll come out as Christopher Walken. <laughs> and that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. 
We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song.